Good morning. This is Dr. Daniel John Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 6 July 2023, and it's going to be lecture number three in photosynthesis. I mentioned last time that photosynthesis, the entire process, was endothermic. So reminded me we need to go back because I introduced it to you recently to discuss some aspects of enthalpy. Remember that enthalpy is a measure of heat content of a substance at a constant temperature. Now, that is basically impossible to measure. So we measure the change in enthalpy. And the symbol we use is Delta H. Delta means change. Of course, we use that Greek letter. So enthalpy change delta H equals the enthalpy of the products minus the enthalpy of the reactants when we're talking about a linear rate equation. So when you run an energy diagram and you look at the Enthalpy of the reactants versus the enthalpy of the products. If the total enthalpy or heat content of the substance is greater of the rea- in the reactants than it is in the products, delta H for that reaction to be completed will be negative. So if you plot enthalpy on the y-axis and the reaction coordinate on the x-axis, You start with an enthalpy of the reactant, which is, say, midstream up the y-axis. To get to the reaction, catalytic event requires a certain activation energy. Remember, that is something that is lowered by enzymatic reactions. Now, so that means there'll be an increase in enthalpy or heat content of the reactants when that activation energy is induced. So you can induce it with heat, right? This is an organic chemicals lab, chemistry laboratory or an inorganic chemistry laboratory. Or, or you can induce it by generating uh, induced fit of substrates into enzyme catalytic pockets so that the substrate develops a higher enthalpy, which means it's more likely to spontaneously complete the reaction. So you reach this peak in this energy coordinate, and then it goes down rapidly, curvilinear down. Now, the difference between the initial enthalpy of the reactant and the final enthalpy of the product will be the delta H. We won't add in that activation energy. So for this kind of reaction, which would be exothermic, where the enthalpy of the reactants is greater than products, the delta H will be negative, and that reaction coordinate will go all the way down, counting now from the, uh, thinking about the y-axis, towards the origin. Okay. So delta H is negative, and that reaction is exothermic. Now, compare that to photosynthesis. Photosynthesis, the reactants have a much lower enthalpy initially. So think about what some of the reactants we're talking about. 
for example, water, because remember, we're splitting water, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and the other substrate is ribulose bisphosphate, RBP2. Now, <clears throat> because the enthalpy of those reactants is less than what the products will be, and the products are ultimately going to be triose, hexose, and then disaccharide sugars, end of Calvin cycle photosynthesis and sucrose synthase. The delta, the, the enthalpy of the products, okay, is going to be greater than the enthalpy of the reactants. Because when you then discharge the heat content of the products, like a sucrose molecule, you're going to have more Gibbs free energy. You see? Go back to the energy coefficients right now. And, and, of course, that's going to include more ATP, right? All right. Now, here the activation energy is much larger because you're starting at a much lower initial enthalpy of the reactant. But the delta H still is only going to be measuring from that place in the curve, which is half maximal. So... The delta H there is going to be not heat given out. So the delta H isn't going to be negative. It's going to be positive. Heat is going to be generated within, and we know how. Remember the internal conversions. Remember the exciton activity I talked about. Coupling photon excitation of electrons to different energy states because of orbital switching, right? orbital migration. So here heat is absorbed. It's an endothermic reaction. Delta H is positive. All because the enthalpy of the reactants is far less than the enthalpy of the products. Okay. So I want you to keep that in mind because it's really significant to understand how photosynthesis is unusual in that it is truly a, a source of energy input into the system that costs very little to generate the conditions for increasing the sustenance of living systems. Now, it doesn't create life. Photosynthesis is not creating life. It's sustaining a living system, right? And before, ex nihilo doesn't happen in nature. You can't synthesize living. You can't create a living thing from a non-living thing. You always have to start with something living. All right. Now, let's talk about the Calvin cycle. Calvin cycle, now we're to the dark uh, reactions. Synthesis of Rubisco and the other enzymes in the Calvin cycle, like the kinase reaction, for example. Triosite, a lot of those reactions, right? they're actually under the control of transcription factors that themselves are light activated. Remember yesterday I was talking about phenylalanine and I was telling you that light activated that system. Light is in charge of the control at the transcriptional level of messenger RNA production for phenylalanine ammonialase. So in plants and in certain other photosynthetic lower 
microorganisms like cyanobacteria, red algae. There are transcription factor complexes, which include proteins, which are regulated by photon flux density. That's not photosynthesis. It's something totally different. It's still energy transduction. It's still the movement of electrons to higher energy states and then the collapse of that, falling back down to ground state. But here it has to do with transcriptional activity rather than photophosphorylation or directly just NADP reduction. See? Chemical work from light energy. All right, now let's go back to Kelvin cycle regulation. So one is Rubisco, that enzyme, and other enzymes in the Kelvin cycle are transcription regulated by light. Then you have something, you have something called the thioredoxin mediated activation of the Kelvin cycle enzyme. Now this is also somewhat related to that phenolic acid, the chemic acid pathway. So a photon will generate those two electrons. Those electrons will take ferrous iron and reduce it to ferric iron in complex with ferredoxin. Okay. The enzyme known as ferredoxin thioredoxin reductase, FTR, will then reoxidize ferric iron to ferrous iron, so Fe2 to Fe3. At the same time, it will take oxidized thioredoxin, which is a disulfide-containing compound, and it will generate two self-hydral groups, or SH groups, or thiol, what I call them thiols. So the reduced thioredoxin now has two SH groups, where before it had a sulfide bond. And that reaction was carried out by ferredoxin-thioredoxin reductions. Now, the rest of the reaction, okay, one more step in the pathway. The reduced thioredoxin becomes oxidized once again. So the thiol groups are then oxidized to the disulfide, sulfur-sulfur bond. Now, when that happens, in the enzyme in the pathway, the Calvin cycle enzyme in the pathway, or indeed, in my case, phenylalanine that is an oxidized enzyme with a disulfide bridge, which then becomes reduced because reduced thioredoxin is oxidized. When that happens, you have a reduced enzyme with two free self-hydro groups. And in this instance, that uh, conformer of that enzyme, that reduced conformer of that enzyme, is the active one. That's how light controls the activity of the enzymes, not just the nascent transcription. Okay, Two components. Now... So go back and talk about the photosystems. Photosystem one transfers electrons from plastocyanin to ferredoxin. So go back and think about that uh, initial discussion two days ago when we were getting into 
the um, very first lecture, and I was just talking about, I told you this was going to be very simplified. Now I'm going to give you more detail. So photosystem one transfer electrons from plastocyanin to ferrodoxin. The ferrodox, uh, excuse me, the photosystem one reaction center. This is photosystem one now. Has various components. The A naught, A one, FX, FA, and FB. So light excited electrons in photosystems and photosystem one is passed to the A naught from the A naught component or domain of photosystem one. Electrons flow exergonically. This is an exergonic reaction. Delta H is negative through the electron transport chain to ferrodoxin. Plastocyan then carries the electron into what's known as the molecular hole of photosystem one, which was created by the exit of the light energized electrons. Okay. So that's photosystem one, right? Now photosystem one, it's going to be intimately linked at ferrodoxin now, right? It's going to be ultimate, it's reduced now because you've oxidized the entire photosystem one system moving up the ladder through all those domains. A naught, A1, FX, FA, FB. You reduce ferrodoxin. Now, ferrodoxin will be used just like we mentioned before in that other enzyme system with the ferrodoxin thyroidoxin reductase I just mentioned. Now you can take NADP and generate ADPH. Okay. All right. So you got now you now you, I'm you see I'm beginning to put this together. Okay. So let's think about the utilization of the carbohydrates from photosynthetic carbon assimilation. This is going to be sensu stricto carbohydrate synthesis. Now in the cytosol, glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate and dihydroxyacetone phosphate will generate fructose-6-phosphate. Okay? So that's going to require, right, because you're synthesizing fructose-6-phosphate, the aldolase reaction and Fructose 1,6-bisphosphatase. Right. So now you got fructose 6-phosphate. Fructose 6-phosphate will go through the phosphoglucoisomerase uh, reaction and generate glucose 6-phosphate. This should all sound familiar to you from gluconeogenesis. Glucose 6-phosphate will be converted to glucose 1-phosphate via the phosphoglucomutase, and then the glucose 1-phosphate will react with uridyl triphosphate and the enzyme UDP glucose pyrophosphorylase to generate pyrophosphate, which drives the reaction going to 2PI, and the product UDP glucose. 
This is nucleotide sugar biosynthesis. Again, you've heard this before in lecture. UDP glucose will then react with another molecule of fructose 6-phosphate. All right. Now, this enzyme, all right, is a special name. It's called sucrose phosphate synthase. And the products will be UDP and sucrose 6-phosphate. Now, sucrose 6-phosphate has to be dephosphorylated for the sucrose to be mobile. And that's the enzyme sucrose phosphatase. That's all happening in the cytoplasm. Now, in the chloroplast stroma, remember that is the soluble portion of the chloroplast. We just talked about the mitochondrial mitosol, remember? So the chloroplast has a, an aqueous environment. You know, remember, most of it is endomembranous, just like the mitochondria doesn't have a lot of endomembranous systems, but still the mitochondria has a mitosol, right? An aqueous zone in the, in the lumen of the mitochondria. I'll look at it that way. Chloroplast has what's called as the stroma, or the non-membranous portion. So what's going down in the stroma is another component of carbohydrate synthesis from the initial photosynthetic carbon simulation. All happening now in the chloroplast, right? Chloroplast, now chloroplast, I mean, a photosynthetic cell, cytosol, and then the chloroplast stroma of the chloroplast of that photosynthetic cell. Here goes the aldehyde 3 phosphate dihydrox. The acetone phosphate, right? Same reaction. Remember, reactions aldolase, fructose 1 6 plus phosphatase. Again, fructose 6 phosphate, glucose 6 phosphate, glucose 1 phosphate, right? Isomerizations, mutases. Then there's an enzyme, okay, called, once again, it, uh, this enzyme uses a nucleotide, but it's not an UTP nucleotide. It's an ATP nucleotide. So it's going to be ATP glucose pyrophosphorylase. Okay? So ADP glucose pyrophosphorylase. And then we'll take ATP. Um, one of the products will be pyrophosphate, which will then be taking 2PI, which drives the reaction. And the other product will be, of course, ADP glucose, adenosine diphosphate, nucleotide sugar glucose. ADP glucose will be used to synthesize starch in the chloroplast stroma. This is where you get starch granules in plant cells, but they're in the chloroplast, okay, not out free in the cytoplasm. So what happens here is, again, ADP glucose reacts with glucose uh, of a certain chain length number, glucose sub N. And again, you know, you'll know what that enzyme is going to be. It's going to be a starch or an amylose synthase, right? Or an amylopectin synthase. And that starch synthase enzyme will then take glucose and uh, add it to ADP, ADP glucose to, to a, a long chain of glucose and make the polymer glucose. I, I mean, polymer starch. The polymer starch is going to have the same kind of structure as glycogen in animal cells. It's going to be alpha 1, 4, alpha 1, 6 linkages in plant starch. Now, yesterday I ended the lecture talking about beta 1, 4 glucans. And I told you that. 
monogastric animals cannot break down beta-1,4. Now, the beta-1,4 glucan is a major uh, source of carbon in plant tissue, but it's not the starch, which is quickly hydrolyzed when it's synthesized in the chloroplast stroma to be utilized for amino acids, fatty acids, etc. You know, it's like glycogen breakdown, right? Think of it like that in the liver. Starch breakdown in the chloroplast stroma. The beta-1,4 linkages are going to be the cellulose and the hemicellulose. Again, that is what primary plant cell walls are composed of. And that makes up a lot of carbon in photosynthetic tissue. And that cellulose is necessary because you need a cellular boundary layer beyond plasma membrane in systems that require control over gaseous exchange because they're exposed to the environment directly. So where we lose um, water from our body and it's a cooling mechanism, by sweating, plants lose water via a transpiration stream where water is lost basically as water vapor through the stomates of the, those, these are pores on the surface of plants so that when that water is released, it keeps the leaf cooler as well, right? It's an exothermic reaction, so it releases heat because of the vaporization of the water. Yes. So that's what's going on there. The beta-1,4 link glucan, beta-1,6 link glucan, which are cellulose, hemicellulose, would make up the structural material of plants that are growing, all the green leafy material in trees and in bushes and in grasses and in flowers and all the vegetables and all the fruits, right? Except for the fruit itself, which is, of course, what? That's the reproductive organ of the plant, right? Now that, if it's a fruit, if it's an actual botanical fruit, it's going to be rich in carbohydrate for sure. Some starch, again, there's between plant starch and, and animal starch, which is called glycogen. It's just the branching is different. Just the number of branches before you get an interdiction of a 1,6 after a long linear 1,4. Okay? So in plants, you have amylose, amylopectin, those differ in that branching pattern. Those can, of course, be utilized by human digestive system. But the, all the green material, all the leaf tissue, has no caloric value in humans. That's what I'm saying before about a person cannot live off of just that. Now, you could get carbohydrate if you have high amounts of reproductive organs from plants, such as fruits and vegetables, seeds, right? Because they store, yeah, amylose amylopectin, some protein, a lot of oil and oil seeds, of course. Try acylglycerol. Yes, of course. But not the leafy material. So all of the plant growth that is not agricultural, that grows out in the fields and out in the forests, all of that which comprises the bulk of the carbon cycle and the oxygen cycle with the help, of course, of phytoplankton in the ocean, 
That is what maintains carbon and oxygen and indeed nitrogen homeostasis for the plant. The row crops and the vine crops and the orchard crops we grow in nice little rows that people get all their fruit and vegetables from contribute far less to carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur homeostasis. Because for one thing, you're dealing with a fruit and that fruit is picked and then eaten, right? Now in the fruit, we're not done yet. The carbohydrate in the fruit, there's some starch like an apple, but most of what people desire in their fruit and vegetables is sucrose. And you've heard of high sucrose containing foods, which are plant derived, not from animals. High sucrose containing foods can be a major contributor to obesity. I've given you a few lectures on that in the past, and don't worry, we're going to come back on that when I do intermediary metabolism and diseases of metabolism. Okay. So, sucrose itself is uncommon in the human diet in terms of human evolutionary biochemistry. And again, why would that be? Weren't plants growing during the evolution of animals, including humans, for the last 250,000 years? Sure. But remember, those flowering species that produce fruits like peaches and plums and pineapples and apples weren't growing in orchards. No. They were growing isolated out in the fields with all, of, with all the other plant species. So they have to be put into an agricultural framework to generate enough biomass that they could actually feed a population. And because we didn't evolve with that kind of system, sucrose is not a common sugar for our digestive processes. And indeed, even though sucrose is just a disaccharide of glucose and fructose, both sugars, of course, do occur in animal cells. Sucrose is not. And sucrose utilization and the phosphorylation state of the fructose after sucrase activity in animals generates a phosphorylated intermediate in fructolysis, which bypasses some of the regulatory components of the Pasteur effect, mitochondrial control over respiration and glycolysis and cytoplasm, means that Less energy is expended and maintained and controlled over the NAD to NADH regulation of the electron transport chain back in the mitochondrion so that more lipogenesis can be affected because there's a corruption of the regulation of carbon flow from high sucrose containing foods. So I said I wasn't going to tell you the whole thing, but I told you based that's the skeleton crew of it. All right. So. You can take that information and I want you to synthesize it and then come back and ask me questions. I'll be glad to answer them. Now, where are we at? I probably blew through most of my time here, but I, I'm glad I did. Oh, perfect. 20, 27.38 seconds. All right. So we've got maybe we got two minutes. Let's see what we can do here. Now, we're going to stop here because I'm going to go back. We're doing photosynthesis. We're doing Calvin cycle. I went off to that aside, which was necessary to finish the understanding of carbon sources. 
between plant and animal, because that's important to understand why photosynthesis is so significant in utilizing carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide increase, increases photosynthesis, both C3 and C4 photosynthesis, and CAM photosynthesis. So if you know about those different photosynthetic pathways, higher levels of CO2 will enhance all those, and that will mean more biomass, not less. Okay. Okay. Uh, next time, we're going to go back and talk a little bit about enthalpy, more about the, the whole involvement here, about the endergonic, uh, uh, I should say, exothermic activation energy involved in this whole process. Let's call it exothermic and endothermic modifications, because those are more about what goes on in terms of bioenergetics that we're interested in. Uh, and ultimately, I will... Um, I think I might go ahead and uh, maybe even finish photosynthesis next lecture. I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on it, not because it isn't extremely interesting. And again, remember the reasoning I'm using here, concepts and ideas. So both the faculties of the understanding and the faculties of the imagination, of which there are plenum, and they're quite florid. The reason I'm doing this is because that's what knowledge can present to a knowledgeable person. You have information about the world around you that will allow your critical thinking to be more accurate and precise. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Finished with my preaching for today, <laughs> saying... Bye for now.